Welcome to episode 22 of the Montana Values Podcast, where we'll reveal what a fire engine red future looks like in the state of Montana and what you can expect from the extreme righty rights and their control of our 2021 legislative session. Let's get right into it with our host, Tammy Fisher. So Tammy, what does a fire engine red Republican Montana look like legislatively? More importantly, how will the Republican sweep of Montana affect our daily lives? Montana has some struggles on the horizon, which won't be helpful to the Republicans who wish to tighten the purse strings in state government. Before we even talk about the red agenda for Montana, you should know that when the legislature meets, state revenues have already taken a hit. And the hit isn't due to COVID. Nope, it's coal tax revenues. They're on a decline and Montana relies heavily on those funds. Now, conservationists blame the energy markets move away from fossil fuels for the decline and industry leaders blame strict regulations. But the market forces independent of regulation are real. Competitively priced natural gas and cheaper batteries that can store electricity from renewable energy have really harmed our coal producers. And now coal companies in Montana can't pay their tax bills. You see, Montana taxes coal two ways. One, it's a like a 5% gross tax on their proceeds when they sell their coal. And that provides Montana with an average of $210 million yearly. Montana also taxes coal production, which provides around $60 million a year. Coal companies in Montana pay taxes not just to the state, but to the county and local governments where the mines are located. So many small towns and counties rely heavily on those coal taxes to keep the lights on and the snow plowed. In fact, two coal mining companies in Bighorn County owe $9 million to the county. And $9 million to a county of 13,000 people is an enormous hit to their county budget. And to make up this revenue loss, Bighorn County will raise property taxes of its residents who are already struggling financially. And they already cut the garbage service there. Those companies also owe the state of Montana $9 million. Montana relies upon coal tax revenues to pay for nearly a dozen government services, including basic library services, conservation districts, cultural and agricultural programs. And coal taxes have been falling. In 2019, coal severance taxes collected were $49 million, down $11 million from the year before, and also the lowest amount collected for the past five years. If coal severance was down $11 million and tax collections on gross proceeds they got to be way down too. And there are other coal economy tax losses on the horizon that we know about. In March, the Lewis and Clark power plant near Sydney will shut down. So coal severance tax and its gross tax has been a reliable and significant contributor to state funding, but it's no longer a reliable source of revenue. So independent of the lost income taxes and business equipment taxes that the state suffers due to the COVID economic crisis, the lost coal tax revenues are a significant and probably permanent hit to the state coffers. So what that means is we know when we walk into the legislature in January, there already isn't enough money to cover current state expenses. And keep in mind that the Democrats and the moderate Republicans are essentially powerless to do anything to stop Gianforte and his legislature of cronies from implementing their agenda for Montana. Do any of you remember the Kansas experiment? That was just 10 short years ago when a conservative Republican was elected governor of Kansas. At the same time, the Tea Party right in Kansas also won a legislative majority by a significant margin. 
the Republican governor and legislature felt and promoted the theory that economic growth in Kansas had been lagging behind other states for years, and they believed a large tax cut would boost investment, raise employment, and jumpstart the economy. Does that sound familiar, Montana? Anyway, under this theory, they implemented one of the largest income tax cuts in Kansas history in 2012. And five short years later, by 2017, the effects of the legislation were felt far and wide, and it was devastating. By early 2017, Kansas was in fiscal crisis. They had nine rounds of budget cuts over four years, three credit downgrades, misstate payments for their debts. And to make up the budget shortfall, they tapped state reserves set aside for future spending, They postponed construction projects, pension contributions, and cut Medicaid benefits. Since approximately half of Kansas's budget went to school funding, education was particularly hard hit. School districts dealt with cuts by shutting down the school year early, eliminating school programs, cutting maintenance, phasing out teaching positions, enlarging class sizes, increasing fees for kindergarten, and cutting janitorial personnel and librarians. Then, in response to the drastic financial times, the governor robbed the state highway fund. Kansas also borrowed from the state pension fund to get by, and they closed nine social service offices around the state. So what about that promised boosted economy and more jobs? Well, Kansas found itself lagging behind neighboring states with similar economies in nearly every major category, job creation, unemployment, gross domestic product, and taxes collected. It was a disaster created by a wackadoo tea party with a nutter holding the governor's chair. So the Kansas experiment is feared to be on the horizon in Montana since the new governor and his Tea Party-dominated legislature promoted the same theories as Kansas during their campaigns. We got a hold of the Republican agenda for the legislative session. Now, we don't believe this agenda included much input from the more moderate Republicans, despite the document's assertions that input from Republicans across the state contributed to its contents. The document is long, but revealing. We will break it up, the contents, into several parts because they all deserve some level of focus. Mostly, we want you to know how you will potentially be affected by this red agenda. And then you can decide if the agenda reflects your Montana values. The number one priority listed in the agenda is reducing taxes. And remember, when you reduce taxes, you reduce the amount of revenue the government gets to pay for its functions. You reduce their revenue, then you got to reduce the expenses because the revenues don't cover the expenses. You reduce the revenues by cutting the taxes. Now, those of us that believe in limited government strongly favor tax reduction to only those funds needed to provide efficient government service. No more, no less. But knowing the economic outlook is grim even after COVID leaves us, and knowing we are already losing millions in coal tax revenue, the first priority is to cut revenues even further? That strikes us as Kansas-style thinking. So how does the Red Agenda prioritize tax reduction? The first target is property taxes. But the state only receives 18% of property tax revenues in Montana. If you're mad about your property taxes, talk to your county commissioners and city councilors and mayors. They spend your property tax dollars and they control the millage. So why the state legislature is targeting tax revenues that primarily go to cities, counties, schools, fire, and water districts is 
beyond us. When state government alters the property tax formula, it changes the budgets of every city, town, county, and school district in Montana. So despite being Republicans who are supposed to favor local control, these are Republicans that favor top-down control over the primary revenues that cities and counties and schools use to keep the lights on. Now, reducing tax burden to what is minimally needed for a well-functioning government is still a primary Republican principle. But that principle must be viewed through the same lens that believes in local control. By targeting the tax that is of very little value to the state government, but is of enormous consequence to cities, counties, and schools, this red agenda is missing the forest for the trees. More importantly, they are targeting the wrong component of the property tax assessment. They're targeting the reappraisal time frame. The idea is to reduce property tax burden by reappraising property every four years instead of every two years. This will keep your property taxes at a set amount for two years longer. So that sounds good, right? I mean, stable taxes for four years. Sure, unless some of your property value declines over the next four years like it did during the last recession. So if you're at a high property value today and anybody in Bozeman, in Missoula, in the Flathead, virtually across the state of Montana, you have a high property value today. And the housing market, if it crashes next year, you'll be paying property taxes based upon the market value today for the next four years, even though your property won't be worth the amount it's being taxed. So remember when the folks on Flathead Lake, this is what I recall, freaked out in 2008. Well, the property taxes were based upon 2007 values, which were at an all-time high. And by 2008, their property values were tanking. So it was a $500,000 house, became a $300,000 house, but folks were still paying taxes based upon a $500,000 value. So yeah, extending the reappraisal time is great, but only if the market value continues to climb. Well, what are the chances of that happening post-COVID? According to the right of the right wing, they believe the economy is just going to bounce back to what it was pre-COVID. Of course, that theory is not shared by many economists nor the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Why? Because employers are shutting down and can't withstand the dip in business. You lose employers, you then lose jobs. You lose income. You lose the ability to buy a house, and if no one buys a house, the market tanks, and on and on. So during a time of economic uncertainty, Montana, would this be your first priority as a legislature? We don't think so. The best tax is one that is fair, that is transparent, and that is easy to understand. In 2009, the reappraisal period was six years, and the legislature, with a Republican proposal, reduced it to two years, and that was smart. Because the fairest assessment of your property is the assessment made closest in time to the day it's assessed. So two years is vastly better than six years. Four years, that's proposed now, suffers the same bias or consequence as the six years. If the property taxes are too high, lower the other key component to the property tax formula, the residential tax rate. The legislature lowered the commercial property tax rate and tax rates on other classes of property, but didn't bother to touch the residential tax rate. If you're going to monkey with the property tax formula for residential properties, monkey with the rate, not the reappraisal period, because that component was already fixed in 2009 when it went from six years to two years. What the red agenda doesn't inform you of 
is Montana's residential tax rate is already lower than the national average. This isn't the tax that will give the state government or the taxpayers the biggest bang for their buck because the state doesn't receive much of its revenue by property tax anyway. And the tax rate is actually pretty low for the taxpayer. So it seems to us that screwing around with the residential property tax formula only serves to disregard the value of local control, it harms cities, counties, schools, and fire districts, and doesn't gain much by way of reducing the size of government or by increasing fairness or transparency. So in this instance, the benefit of reducing the size of government doesn't outweigh the harm to local control. These are two tenets of the Republican Party platform that must be weighed with every legislative proposal advanced by the red agenda. Just like the state doesn't like the feds telling us what to do. Cities and counties don't want to be told what to do by the state. It's a you stay out of our business and we'll stay out of yours type of relationship. The state starts monkeying with the city's autonomy and conflict will occur. And this is why local control and the 10th Amendment and states' rights are so important to Republicans. There's a few other proposals on the red agenda with respect to tax relief that deserve mentioning. They placed reducing in-state fishing license fees by making the license valid for 12 months from the date of purchase under the tax relief section. And I don't think it really belongs there, but whatever. It's generally a good idea, and I don't think it's going to impact the FWP coffers too terribly much. So extending the timeframes for that, how long your fishing license is valid, makes sense. I mean, or at least it's a year from the date of purchase. Extending the timeframes for electrician recertification, thereby reducing the cost of professional fees, makes sense. Mickey and I are not big fans of professional licensing fees anyway, because our professional boards, I think, really don't do much by way of making sure us professionals are competent. And the business equipment tax is up on the chopping block again. Remember, this tax has already been reduced by about 50% in Montana. A lot of work has been done in the past 10 years to reduce the business equipment tax. And this proposal, again, is to work on a tax where only 20% of the revenues go to the state and 80% goes to cities and counties. So why mess with this one when it's half of what it was in 2010? Because it's still a burden on businesses? Yeah, that's true, but all taxes are a burden. And it's not the state's role to pull the rug out from under the cities, counties, school districts, and fire districts. And while the Montana Chamber tells us that having a business equipment tax puts us at a competitive disadvantage with three of our four bordering states that do not have a business equipment tax, that's North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming, those states have a sales tax. And none of us want a sales tax, so the trade-off is property tax, income tax, and business equipment tax. Those are the breaks, truly. If a sales tax is a no-go, you got to make up the shortfall. And the Republicans over the last 10 years in Montana, working with moderate Democrats, have really done a good job on both property and business equipment tax relief. We do think that if a city qualifies for and opts for a local option sales tax, it shouldn't also get a distribution from the business equipment tax because it's our businesses and employers that keep Montana growing economically. And cities with a local option sales tax shouldn't be able to double dip in the tax pool. You know what tax is the single largest source of state general fund revenue that is not even mentioned in the tax relief section of the red agenda? Yeah, individual income tax. Instead, reduction of income tax is listed as a second priority on the first page, but the reduction is, get this, one-tenth of one percentage point. Barely anything. So the state 
by reducing your income taxes by one-tenth of one percentage point will lose $20 million out of its coffers. And what will you feel as a result? Well, a whole lot of nothing. Because if your taxable income is $50,000 a year, instead of you paying $3,450 in income tax, you will pay $3,400. 50 bucks. That's your benefit. So I think you might be able to buy a tank of gas for that, or you could go out to one dinner and order no drinks with your partner one more time a year if this proposal takes effect. So the value to the taxpayer is minimal. None of us will be like, wow, what a relief. I got 50 bucks back. But the revenue impact to the state is $20 million. Is that worth it to you, Montana, when we have an addiction crisis in the state and virtually no state-funded treatment centers? Is it worth it to you when we have the highest rate of suicide in the nation and insufficient rural mental health treatment? The trade-off, the value add for the proposal, it just isn't there. And it's a half-baked proposal put on the front page of the red agenda because the people that fund elections like it. And the single dumbest thing in the tax section of the red agenda, Derek Ski's failed tax protection pledge. For the love of God, what value does a pledge have to the state of Montana? These are cockamamie feel-good antics that are weaponized by the wackadoos and provide zero value to Montanans. Skis, the political wizard himself, loves these pledges. Now, is this the same Derek Skis that has never met a camera or microphone that he didn't want to have intimate relations with? (laughs) That's the one. See, his theory with these pledges is that you build a simple statement around a popular principle like keeping taxes low or opposing abortion, and you can pressure skittish politicians to back your cause eternally or risk their supporters' wrath in the dreaded flip-flopper tag. Political pledges are the brainchild of the Tea Party. And Skies is using this pledge as a weapon against legislators in his own caucus. It's an absolute waste of tax dollars to spend time developing a political weapon. You swear an oath as an elected official to uphold the constitution of the state of Montana. How about you just mind your oath and stop wasting taxpayer time and dollars on gimmicks? Just like the majority of Derek Ski's legislative work, this junk died in 2019 and it doesn't deserve reincarnation. On our next podcast, we'll dive more into the Red Agenda and its effects on our Montana. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Become a sponsor of the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Subscribe to the show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.